Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, the other day we had some some roofers that were out here on the church roof. They were looking at some damage that we've got, if you've seen it. Um, you know, we had some wind come in and, and tear off a piece of the, the, the fascia board up here and, and everything. So we've had roofers that were up on the roof, and they were out there trying to see what the damage was and what the extent was going to be. And so, I, I mean, they're right outside my office, so there was no sneaking up on me out there. I mean, they, you know, that literally I'm watching them climb up outside my window. And so I went out to, to chat with them for just a few moments. And there were two guys that were actually on the roof, and then there was another guy that was standing on the ladder. Uh, I can't imagine being on top of this roof. You know, that that makes my heart race, just imagining being on top of this building. But two guys were up there, and and I went out there, and, and it was one of those rare moments of sunshine. That's the, it's sunny today. We didn't we hadn't had much of this this week, and and this past week there was a it was one of those rare moments where there was sunshine, and those two guys were actually up on the roof and. They were looking at the mountain, and they were just talking about how beautiful the view was. And I thought to myself, well, the view is just as pretty on the ground <laughs> as it is on top of the roof. Because <laughs> I don't want to see it. Um, and, <laughs> and I, you know, we were just talking, and, and I, I concurred with their, their opinion. Because I know that Lookout Mountain isn't the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, we did have a snow cap, though. I mean, down here at High Point, you know, we had a little bit of snow on the mountain up there. But, but I really do think this little slice of Walker County is one of the prettiest places around. And uh, just the way that it, just the way the weather works against the mountain and everything, when the fog gets trapped against the mountain, it's really, it's really something. And you know, God didn't have to make our world so compelling. He didn't have to make it so attractive. He didn't have to give us these, these, these opportunities to see a sunrise, a splendid sunrise against the mountain, or uh, you know, or a, sun, a sunset against the mountain. Um, but in His wisdom, it's exactly what He did. Even this week, the rain that we experienced and whatever other stuff might have mixed in with it, that rain is one of those great and unsearchable wisdoms, uh, one, un, great and unsearchable wonders from the Lord. Several years ago, John Piper reflected on this fact. Listen to how he described this. He said, picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream, A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky? Uh, Water will, will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the ocean several hundred miles away and, and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,501,280 pounds of water. I can't even get it out of my mouth, it's so much water. Well, that's heavy. How does it get up in the sky and stay there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets there by evaporation. 
Well, really? Well, that, that's a nice word. What does that mean? Well, it means the water sort of stops being water for a while so that it can go up and not down. I see. Then, then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's that? Well, the water starts becoming water again by gathering around dust particles that are really, 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 really small. So what about the salt? Salt? Yeah, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, and then carries it 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. And they have to be big enough to fall for one mile so they don't evaporate again and small enough to not destroy the wheat. So all of these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds and get heavy enough to fall, if that's the way to ask the question. Well, it's called coalescence. What's that? Well, it means specks of water start bumping into each other and join up to get bigger. And when they're big enough, they fall. Well, just like that? Uh, well, not exactly, because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there were no electric field present. What? Never mind, just, just take my word for it. You don't have to look very, very far to see God's wisdom literally everywhere. Nothing that God touches can escape the impact of his wisdom. From the rain that falls and brings clouds and drear to our weeks, to a beautiful sunrise against the mountain. You know, as we look around, we consider the expanse of God's wisdom. You see just how well the world is put together. It's put together so well that you don't have to be wise for the world to work. When you got out of bed this morning, you didn't have to engage any wisdom for the sun to rise. You didn't have to engage any wisdom for the temperature to be right. It's a little cold, but it wasn't so cold that, that everything was destroyed in the cold. And you didn't have to be wise for the temperature to rise throughout the day. You don't have to have wisdom for those things to happen. You didn't have to have wisdom for your feet to land properly on the ground so that, so that you have just enough gravity to keep you on the planet, but not so much as to crush you. None of that requires wisdom. In fact, it doesn't even require thought to happen. It happens every single day. The world's put, put together so well, you don't really have to think about it for it to work. But the world, at the same time, isn't like some sort of cosmic escape room where you have to solve complicated puzzles in order to get through it. You know, what we're going to find today is that the world... As well as it's put together, it works much better if we will approach it from a position of wisdom. Keep that in mind as we work our way through Proverbs chapter 3 today. As we look to Proverbs chapter 3 beginning in verse 13, I would invite you to stand with me as we read 13 through the end of the chapter. The writer of Proverbs says this beginning in verse 13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed." 
The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, and understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps are broken open, and the clouds drop the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul, adornment for your neck, and they will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the ages in which uh, you've made yourself known and made yourself manifest. Lord, we pray that you will help us to apply wisdom to the world in which we live, that we might understand it better, and that we might walk in your favor. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, as we consider the wisdom of the world and how God's wisdom is made manifest in the world, one of the things that comes to mind is the fact that wisdom enriches everyone who finds it. Wisdom enriches everyone who finds it. As I said earlier, you don't have to have Solomon's wisdom to figure out how to get by in the world because God is such a meticulous creator. It's like when I I get into my car and I crank it and the engine turns over. I don't pretend to understand all the mechanics that are at work when when that happens. I understand that that fuel is converted into fire and fire creates compression and compression runs my engine. I get it, but then again, I I don't get it. Uh, the mechanic could say, you've got this wrong, and, and I, can, I can offer some level of understanding, but at the end of the day, that's why I take it to a mechanic, because the mechanic understands the mechanics of it far better than I do. I get into my car, and I turn the key, and I expect that it will continue to work because of the intelligence of those who engineered it, and who designed it, and who put it together. In the world is the same way. I don't have to, I, I step out into the world and I expect gravity to work. I expect the temperature to be right. I expect all of those things to, to happen. I don't, I don't have to, to, to go out of my way to try to understand it or to try to figure it out. I understand that gravity is a thing, but I don't know how it works. I don't understand the principle that, that, that's there. I don't understand why the mass of the planet beneath me keeps me anchored just right. I don't know how that works, but I also understand that it does, and I trust the Creator who put it together. I don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to grasp that. And so God is a meticulous Creator who's put everything in just the right place, in just the right order. If you were to talk to people who study cosmology and the planets, and you may have seen this week how we landed another probe on NASA, and, and I, I, I kind of geek out by some of this stuff. I think it's amazing that, that what we're able to, to do and, and launch these things. And I mean, that thing they landed, I, I think like a remote control car, 
This thing's like a, like a, a 3,000 pound truck that they dropped out of a parachute going 12,000 miles per second or however fast it was going, and they stuck the landing. Uh, and and so, so again, I don't pretend to know how that works, but it's incredible that God is such a meticulous creator that we can anticipate what circumstance would, would be like on a planet that, that, that's not like our planet, but we can sort of figure out what it's going to be like when we get there because of the constants that God has put into place. It's remarkable when we think about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that in spite of the way God has put the world together, when we have wisdom, the world works so much better. Just like you don't need Solomon's wisdom to get by, you don't need Solomon's riches to find happiness. Because again, the wisdom enriches everyone who finds it. When we hear the word enrich, we might find ourselves, our minds drifting to the concept of financial reward. Proverbs actually gives some wisdom on, on how to pursue that, how to see that come to fruition. It usually revolves around hard work. But Proverbs here is actually saying that wisdom leads to something better than wealth or riches. The gain from wisdom, Proverbs says, is better than the gain from silver. It's better than the profit from gold. In today's day, it's better than the profit from Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency you may be investing in. It's better than that. I love what Bruce Waltke, commentator, said about this. He says, wisdom is skill at living well. Money is not. Money can put food on the table, but wisdom puts laughter around the table. Money can buy a house, but wisdom makes it a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom wins her heart. You know, in our, our country, we have this concept of, of the American dream. And if we were to all define the American dream, we'd probably all have some differences, but there'd be some similarities in how we define the American dream. We would look at it as a, as a, as a good job. Get a good job, get a nice house, have two and three-fifths kids, however many we're supposed to have, and retire with a bunch of money in the bank. I mean, that's generally how we summarize the, the American dream. That's what we're all working for. And many people accomplish these goals without the Lord. We all know people who have good jobs, who have a good family, who've got a big house and a big 401k, and they've never darkened the doors of a church, much less given any thought to their relationship with Christ. But Proverbs here reminds us that success is more than just a 401k statement. Success is more than just the property valuation of our home. Success is more than just the, the title that we possess at our work. That success is greater when we will pursue wisdom, but success is not about our financial prosperity. Why is wisdom such an important part of living life well? Well, all we have to do is, is look around because we understand that wisdom is a tool in God's creative work and in God's providence. Back when I was in college, there was a gentleman by the name of Frank Murphy. He was an adjunct professor who uh, was quite an accomplished artist. Back behind the art building there at Shorter University, it wasn't uncommon for there to be a huge chunk of white rock. Now, I'm not a sculptor or an artist, and so I don't know if it was marble or granite. I just took it for granite. Uh, sorry, scratch that from the record, pretend I never said that. <laughs> but all we knew is that giant chunk of rock was going to soon become a, a future sculpture. 
And I mean, man, he was so talented in what he could do. And the finished product of his work, you know, it never had any visible scars from the tools. When he was all said and done, you didn't see chisel marks and, and, and you didn't see any of that stuff because he was very accomplished. He, he was very gifted. And so all you saw was the finished product. But, but as you think about the finished product of a sculpture, isn't a sculpture exactly that? The carefully crafted scars of hundreds of thousands of impacts of hammer and chisel. It's, that's all it is. Because that's what is making the sculpture, is the removal of everything that's not the sculpture. And so what you're actually seeing is the, is the consequence of the tools, the impact of the tools. When you think of creation and what God has done, the analogy is the same. Wisdom is the tool, Proverbs tells us, that God used to create the cosmos. And so to the careful observer, we see all of the tangible, visible things of creation. But for the person who's thinking spiritually, we understand that these things didn't just come into being like we are uh, told in today's educational curriculum. It wasn't just something that, that happened as a consequence of a, of a cosmic explosion billions and billions of years ago. It was put together with wisdom by, by a divine being that we know as the, as the Lord. And wisdom is the tool that God used to, to craft it. You know, Frank's sculptures never crafted themselves. That block of marble that was, or granite, whatever, was sitting behind the art building, you know, it could have stayed out there for the rest of, of, of eternity, however long that is. And that piece of stone could have been worked upon by forces of nature and by water and wind and erosion. And you know that stone would have never turned into a sculpture that resembled somebody's face. It would never happen because the random chance and the random force doesn't have wisdom. When we look at the world of creation around us, we understand that when it is put together, when it is right, that there is wisdom at work in the way the world is put together. And so it's important for us to pursue that wisdom, and we pursue that wisdom as people of God through a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens as we pursue our walk with the Lord we actually should find a deeper appreciation for how the universe is put together. Just like Pastor John's reflections on water getting from the Mediterranean Sea to the field hundreds of miles away, it's not just natural processes that make that happen. It's a divine creator with divine wisdom who put those systems into place to make the world work. You know, I can see Frank's work, and I have a remarkable remarkable appreciation for for Frank's work not just sculpture but but artwork he was an incredible incredible painter but I know the artist Frank is actually the guy that got me my very first job in church and so when I see Frank's work I, I have a remarkable appreciation for for what he's done because I have a relationship with the person who did it growing in wisdom is so much more than gaining facts and information it's taking time to gain a deeper appreciation for who God is and what he's done. Of course, the cosmos in which we live is certainly flawed. We all understand that even as we find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic and we deal with loss and sorrow and heartache and death and all of those things are a part of our lives today. However, 
the flaws aren't there because of a design issue. It's not because there's a failure in the design. The flaws are there because of a sin issue. The wisdom of God's creative work is hidden because we have a sin problem. And instead of seeing the Creator, we as sinners are prone to focus on the creation instead. You hear that conversation in politics today where, where we don't look to a creator to solve our problems. We want to solve these problems in creation with our own cunning, with our own insight, and we've missed the point completely. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 actually tells us that this is the reality. In Romans chapter 1 verse 24 and 25 it says this, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. As a consequence of losing our way, well, the fact of the matter is, is we've lost sight of our creator. However, thankfully God's wisdom isn't gone. It's still available to all who would seek it. In fact, I love this, Wisdom is a safety mechanism in a fallen world. Look at verses 21 through 26. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Wisdom is a safety mechanism in this world that is flawed by sin. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about a serious repair that we had to have here at the church it involved our, our sewer system. It's not a topic for polite conversation. However, I do understand that I don't know much about sewer except the fundamental principles of gravity. Now, I do know more now than I did a few weeks ago. One of the things I've learned about in this process is the importance of something called a check valve. Now, I'm not an engineer. I don't know much about plumbing and valves and things like that. But I did learn that a check valve, if I can take a moment to explain, is basically a one-way passage. It basically keeps everything on the other side of the valve from going the other direction. So, which, again, in, in, in this application, that's an important principle. Can we agree? Um, so liquids go one way and they don't come back. And everybody said amen. Um, keeping things moving the right direction is a good thing, which is part of why we were having a problem. You know, wisdom is kind of a spiritual check valve. It, it keeps everything moving in the right direction. We know the world is flawed. We know that everything down there is flawed. There's lots of evil. We know that God's good creation is suffering under the effects of sin. We know that we are called to live and work and function in the world. We can't get out of the world. And so as we pursue wisdom, we begin to grasp the goodness of God's creative work, and we recognize the peril of walking in folly and sin. We don't want to go back. We don't want, we don't want that valve to fail. But let's not think about the pursuit of wisdom as a sort of vaccine to sin. Because it isn't. Even wise people still stumble and fall. Look at Solomon in his great wisdom. He still managed to stumble and fall in an epic sort of way. So we need this extra measure of God's grace to sort of stay on track. And what Proverbs here tells us, if you look at verses 25 through 26, is that, is that God actually says, I'll go with you. 
I'll walk with you. I'll keep your feet steady. I'll keep your path straight. Take me with you. I'll go alongside of you. You see, let's not be so naive as to think that we can outsmart our way to righteousness while using our cunning to dodge evil. Solomon believed that these relationships that he established were, were political alliances. This, it would help him to establish good, good rapport with the nations around him. But, but those political alliances became a snare to him that ultimately even led to the failure of his own, of his own kingdom and his own nation. So we can't outsmart it. We can't use our cunning to avoid it. We need God's hand and we need His guidance because it is a dangerous world in which we live. If you think you're immune, that you're smart enough, that you can manage it, you are not right. You're completely wrong. We need the Lord. Help keep our foot from slipping. You ever been in somewhere where, where you know, it's, it's slippery outside? And you can, you can try to walk, but it just doesn't matter. Maybe you're only crossing a creek or something. You know, you, those, those rocks are slippery. You need something to, to kind of help, help steady your pathway. That's what God's grace does as we pursue him in wisdom. You know, when we walk in wisdom in a fallen world, there's a consequence to that. We start to recognize that we have some obligations to those around us. So as we walk in wisdom in a fallen world, what are the consequences of that, of that decision to walk in wisdom? Well, again, chapter 3 sort of explains some things to us. First of all, wisdom expects that we help those in need. Look at verses 27 and 28. I don't plan on throwing army men at you so, uh, so you don't have to duck. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I, I'll give it when you actually have it with you. One of the insights that we gain as we look to live in wisdom in a fallen world is we understand that we're going to encounter people in need. We encounter people in need in lots of different ways. Sometimes the needs aren't, aren't even physical needs. Sometimes the need is, is grief. Someone's grieving and they need a, a friend. Sometimes the, the need is, is um, you know, there, there's a hurt and I need someone to talk to. Sometimes the need is physical. But, but the goal here is that, is that when we find those who are in need, we're walking in wisdom, we're walking in righteousness, we're understanding how the world is put together. God has given us special grace to, to help us keep our feet steady. And so as we do this, we need to be looking for people who have needs and help meet those needs. I love what Proverbs says here, that if, if you've got the means to meet it, we'll meet it. Uh, don't, you know, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Now, if it's not in your power to do it, don't try. But if it's in your power to, to help someone who's hurting, to help someone who's hungry, if that's in your power to, to do something about, then wisdom requires that we actually do that. We recognize that if we've, been, if we've been blessed, we ought to be a blessing. Secondly, wisdom expects that we protect our neighbor. Look at verses 29 through 30. He says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. 
I must admit that I have, I have failed in verse 29 in some ways. We have some neighbors who, uh, who have loud pool parties, and I have contemplated how I could go shut the, the power off to their, to their pool party when it's going on too late. I've, I've studied. I mean, I've actually given some thought to what I can do to, to silence the thing. So I, I've, I've plotted evil against my neighbor, I suspect. You know, verses 29 and 30 are written from a, a negative standpoint. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, but they can be seen from a positive as well. If you haven't noticed, our world lives in attack mode. Uh, social media hasn't helped with this, that we have the anonymity of a keyboard to help us, uh, help us have courage that isn't real. We are often drawn towards fault-finding and criticism, and we're often drawn towards leveling that fault-finding and criticism at others. But if we follow the example of Christ, we love our neighbors, even when our neighbors aren't altogether lovable. But thirdly, as we walk in wisdom in a fallen world, pursuing this divine wisdom, wisdom reminds us to keep our distance from trouble. Look at verses 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. When we are asked here to keep our distance from trouble, that doesn't mean that we run from the building when the building is on fire. That goes back to the first obligation, that if there's someone in need, we might have to run into the building that's on fire. What it does mean, and this is very important, we ought to keep a safe distance from the people who are actually striking the match. We don't run into the fire. We don't run away from the fire. We don't run away from the danger. But we certainly ought to keep our distance from the dangerous. I've shared many times the how disappointed I was at the Capitol riot that took place weeks ago. How many Christian symbols there were in the crowd that were there, and I know that there's conspiracies and all those sort of things that those those weren't really Christians who were waving those symbols. I don't know; it's not my place. But what I did see is there were crosses and Christian flags that were being displayed as people were going in and ransacking the United States Capitol. And if those were Christians who were there, that's not good for us in terms of running away from troublemakers. We ought to keep a safe distance from that. Again, be available to help. We live in a fallen world. We understand that there are countless opportunities to get into trouble. I read a statistic this week that one out of every three individuals in America has a, has a criminal history. There's lots of opportunities to get into trouble. But wisdom compels us to avoid trouble, to be there to help, but to avoid trouble. We can rescue fallen people from trouble, that it doesn't mean that we have to be there in the midst of trouble. Ultimately, God wants us to see a clear difference between the wicked and the righteous. Look at verse 34. Proverbs says, towards the scorners, he is scornful. What's a scorner? A scorner is somebody whose heart is so hard that they're not just indifferent, that they're actively opposed to the things of God. Someone who is a scorner is somebody who says, I, don't, I not only don't care about the Christian faith, I'm actively opposed to the Christian faith. That's what a scorner is. And here God says to the scorner, the one who is actively opposed, hostile to the things of God, that he is scornful. That's a, that's a scary statement if I'm a scorner. But then look at the next line. To the humble, he gives 
favor. You see, there is a clear difference between the person who is opposed to the things of God and the person who recognizes his position in God's economy. For those of us who are in Christ, it's understood that we recognize our place in God's economy, that we are flawed human beings, and we can't fix it on our own. We don't have the smarts, the cunning, the wisdom, the intellect. We do not have the ability to overcome our deficiency on our own. And when we come to Christ, that's the only way you come to Christ, is with humility. You don't come to Christ with pride, Lord, I deserve this. You don't come to Christ Christ with entitlement and say, it's about time you found me. We don't come to Christ in that way. We come to Christ in a humble recognition that we are flawed, failed sinners, and that the only hope that we have is found in the person and the perfected work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that it works. And when we begin to pursue that, when we begin to understand that, we will recognize there is this clear difference between the one who is wicked and the one who is righteous. Not by their own, own, own merit, but by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are grateful for the wisdom of the world and the way that it's put together. Lord, we're thankful for the way your hand is, is evident and, and involved in, in how our feet stick to the ground. You've put that together. That is a, an indicator of your wisdom at work in the world. Yet, Lord, we know that we live in this world that is flawed and fallen in so many ways, and, and we find ourselves just wondering how in the world we navigate the challenges. We do so by pursuing wisdom, and that wisdom is pursued first and foremost in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I would pray that if there's any here today who, perhaps in their pride, they've yet to surrender themselves to Christ, and that today they would recognize that there needs to be an attitude of humility, of, of brokenness, that we don't approach Jesus with a sense of deserving this, but we approach Jesus with a sense of, I don't deserve this. And when we look at the world, that when we look at salvation that way, we, we understand that, that the work that we do, the, the helping our neighbor and the, the, the protecting the vulnerable, that, that the, that's, that's our response to what God has done in our life. And so, God, may we approach the world not with a sense of, of obligation, i got to help that person, but with a sense of worship that I get to help that person because that person's made in the image and likeness of God. And that person is, is someone who, who needs help. And that person is somebody that perhaps they need to be introduced to Christ. And instead of a have to, it's a get to. So God, again, we're grateful for the wisdom that we find in these books, this book and, and, and how it reaches deep down inside of us and challenges us and asks us to evaluate our own hearts. And so God, if we find ourselves growing lazy in the things of God, God, would you motivate us, challenges us, challenge us to pursue you, to seek you out, to know your face. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.